Good morning, and welcome to Classical Voice Canada, where we meet artists and discuss classical voice together. I'm Kira Braun, your host, and I'm so very glad you've joined us today. This is the 15th episode of Classical Voice Canada, and today I'm delighted to introduce our guest, Madison Riley Arsenault. Madison is a mezzo-soprano, but also she is a fully certified yoga instructor, and she has taken what she knows about the voice and about yoga and combined them to create her own business, which is called Yoga Pella. Maddie has a lot of insight and is a wonderful speaker, and so I hope that you'll enjoy listening to us chat today about her musical background and about her journey toward becoming a yogi. Hello, Maddie. How are you today? I'm doing well, Kira. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. I can't even remember when the last time was. I think it's been at least four years. No, a couple less than that. We had lunch together and went to yoga once, right? Yeah, that was so much fun. I remember that now. And we sung Messiah. I think that was four years ago. When yeah, we yeah. Singing together. Oh, what was getting a handle on the Messiah? Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> we did well. It was fun. It was a very good concert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have been really busy since then and I'm so excited to talk to you today. I've got a bunch of questions for you and I'm just so happy that you're going to spend some time with us today and tell us about your life and what you've been doing since that time. So let's get started. Yeah. You've actually got two journeys to share with us. One of them is your musical journey and I'd like to start there if we could. When did you start singing? And tell us, how did you know that that was something you wanted to pursue? I started singing pretty much from right out of, right out of the womb, I like to say. <laughs> but I started taking singing lessons, I was probably around eight years old, eight or nine. Wow. And then went into the piano lessons as well. I did the whole thing. And I knew that music was something that came naturally. I tried all the things before that. I was in swimming, figure skating, taekwondo, and we tried all this, all these different sports and nothing really stuck until I found music. Mm. And then music really felt like it was this really natural thing. And uh, it was a really fun thing to do as well. And I learned a lot about myself in that process of learning how to sing. It's hard to say when I knew that I wanted to be, to sing for the rest of my life or to, to, to be a singer, quote unquote, <laughs> because I felt like I was, I was going into the industry kind of from this kind of passive place where I, I wanted to go to university. That felt like the next thing to do. And then music just made the most sense to me. And then um, just the way that those programs kind of shape your idea of, of yourself. Like I find that I, I was actually discovering that I, I was discovering that I wanted to sing in the process of going to university. It's been a journey of just like self-discovery, I find. And I'm still figuring out, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> I feel like we're always answering those questions and it's always shifting. So, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. But I know that I, I love to sing. I know that it's such a gift to myself and it's also something that is a really beautiful gift to share with others. So in some capacity, I know that I'm going to be singing until 
until the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. And Mm. I feel the same way. You know, even if it's just for ourselves, let's just keep doing it. You uh, graduated from Western? Yeah, I graduated. I graduated in 2014. So I I stayed there for both my undergrad and my master's. So I was there for quite a while. Um, Yeah, it was a long haul at Western. (laughs) Uh, It was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. And it feels like a lifetime ago when I think about those years, even though it's only been six years since since leaving, a lot has changed. So mm-hmm. you, you've done a master's degree and what was your focus within the master's? It was uh, voice performance and literature. So I sang my thesis. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a, I prepared a one hour uh, recital both years, first and second year and um, prepared the program, the translations, kind of the flow of the program, and it needed to include at least four languages. I think I did five. And it was a lot of work putting that together. And all of that culminates to one performance. You're preparing literally eight months for this thing. And then it all comes down to this one, one day, this one shot at singing your recital. So it was a lot of pressure. It was also very fun to prepare for it. And I I, you know, you learned so much about about music. I, I deepened my understanding of all these different languages and like the history behind the music that I was singing. So it does, you know, I think that's where the literature aspect of the degree comes in because you're really doing a lot of reading to to research for this program and you know, researching the composers and like why the the history of all of the pieces that you're that you're singing and and of course the language translating it getting the getting the program ready because you have to prepare the program so that's where I think a lot of the literature side of that degree comes uh, from did you choose works from different eras or did you focus on all on one era I definitely was all over the map <laughs> I sang some Handel I sang some Von Williams I sang some Mahler oh. um, what else did I do some Manuel de Fala, so some Spanish music. And then uh, I'm, I think I'm going over both years right now. I'm not remembering it linearly, <laughs> but it was all over the map. Yeah, some Debussy. Oh. It was, yeah, it was really beautiful. Like I just basically chose all of my favorite music. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That mm-hmm. makes it a little easier right from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. So who was your teacher during that time? Somebody who made a huge impact on you? Yeah, I mean, I worked with a few people. So my first year I was with Todd Viachorek and then I switched in, uh, studios in second year. I realized I needed to work with someone more closer to my voice type. Mm-hmm. So I switched to Jacqueline Short for the following three years. And then when I went into my master's, I switched to Anita Krauss-Viva ah. again to work with my voice type because she was a yeah. mezzo. Yes. Very and nice. she was very, yeah, she felt more like more more of a maternal um, influence and was very loving very very inspiring because she was performing all the time so I was lucky enough to see her perform quite often and she was often singing the rep that I was working towards ah. and I once saw her perform Mahler's Rupert Leader and it, oh no the Kindertoten Leader that's what it was okay and it was so gorgeous with the London Symphony which is no longer unfortunately mm, I know mm-hmm. yeah. lots has changed <laughs> It's yeah. wonderful when you have a teacher who can 
walk the talk too, mm-hmm. right? Who can demonstrate for you right then and there and, and that person and that voice inspire you. Mm-hmm. She was yeah. very inspiring. Very mm-hmm. nice. Was there a memory that you have from your school days, like something that happened that you look back on happily or a production mm-hmm. that you were in? I think the highlight of my entire career there was probably when I sang Lucretia in Britain's Rape of Lucretia. That was a heavy role, but it was also such an honor to, Mm -hmm. to bring that piece to life because, yeah, it was a very, very intense, intense performance to put together. But I I also had so much fun doing it ironically, because it was, I mean, it was very dark, but it was also the music was gorgeous and it was like very empowering to bring that story to life. And we, I was lucky enough to work with Joel Ivany for that production. He was the director and he did this really amazing, he had this really amazing concept of adding another layer. The show has these narrators, our characters in the show and they're narrating and kind of like watching the whole story unfold and then telling the audience about it and like narrating it as it goes. And so he decided to kind of add another layer of um, that observation, you know, so he, Mm -hmm. he put the audience on the stage. So there was, audience members, which are actually just students at Western, but they were all sitting up on the stage with us watching the whole thing unfold. And then the narrators were kind of playing into that and like walking around the audience and, and, and engaging with them, but also engaging with the real audience. And there was just so many layers of breaking that fourth wall. That was really, it added so much to the production. And it was probably one of the most interesting productions I've been a part of at, the, at Western for sure. That's and yeah, just very fortunate to work with such a incredible director who's now on to work with COC and doing you know stuff with Edmonton Opera and yeah he's been doing really well lately and with so it's just yeah it's a really beautiful that's a really beautiful memory that comes to Uh, mind yeah and quite something to have been exposed to the thought process there including an audience not just on stage but an audience to a rape I mean Mm, exactly something else and uh Mm. good for you for going through all of that and still being able to bring everything you had to bring to the role wow yeah yeah it was an intense one but it was like I said it it still stands out as one of the highlights for me I think because of that intensity and that that intensity that I brought to the role as well I remember it was a very cathartic thing you know I'm not had experiences like that in my real life, but it was still, it still felt like a very cathartic performance to sing for survivors, mm-hmm. you know, to sing for them and to, to allow them to experience some sort of release, some sort of transformation of that energy, because um, obviously it doesn't end well if you're familiar with the story, yeah. but, but yeah. she is still like, Lucretia is still a very strong, very respectful, very empowered woman. Mm-hmm. and she just you know had a terrible card <laughs> terrible cards dealt to her so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and do you feel like that made you grow as a person and a woman right there definitely yeah and working with um with Tarquinius at the time who was such a he was such a gentle soul and just seeing his transformation and trying to kind of embody that mm. it was it was it just brought 
the, 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 those of us working in that performance or in that show were very, we were brought very close together because of the, I think because of the intensity. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of bonding that had to happen for us to kind of like be able to connect. So it was, so it was more yeah. believable on stage, you know? So there was a lot of, yeah. a lot of stuff behind the scenes, I think that helped um, with my journey. And I, and I definitely grew a lot um, in just the exploration of that role, you know, yeah. and the exploration of the relationship with, with the predator and having this like you know yeah it was a very conflicting thing because i think she was also i think she also did have love for tarquinius even though he did that to her like it was a very conflicting relationship mm. so there was yeah because of all those layers i think it was yeah a very profound <laughs> uh show to be a part of wow wow mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you have a big lesson that you learned through your many years at Western? I mean, I learned a lot of lessons, I think, there. I think I learned that we're so fortunate to do what we do. We're very, as artists in general, and I think that I learned how important art is for the world and how much it actually does bring to the world. I remember there was one experience where I was singing in Brazil. I was doing a kind of like a artist program down there, young artist program down there. And it was for that, for that city, we were in Sao Paulo and we were, we were singing um, Tales of Hoffman. And I remember for how profound that experience was for the audience because they had never seen opera before. And so they were so thrilled to have us there. And we had people coming up to us after the show in tears, just saying how grateful they were for us to be bring to to bring art to that city in in that way. Because, you know, opera is not a very popular thing in Brazil in general. Mm. But a lot of these people had never seen anything like that before in the live setting. So just to have that, just to see the effect, you know, the art could have on the audience was just I think that was a really pivotal moment for me to realize how important it is to do the work that we do, to bring this art to, to the world and to different parts of the world that don't normally have the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Because it speaks to us on a, on a soul level, you know, I think it connects us to something greater and that's a really powerful and sacred thing to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. Mm. That's a wonderful lesson. And I, I don't know that a lot of students actually pick that up <laughs> you mm-hmm. know learn that particular lesson how important it is to be making our art and sharing it with people so it, yeah. it just can it can feel like a grind you're doing this i've got to get this done and okay now it's over on to the next thing mm-hmm. but when you when you really open it up and decide you know what i i'm growing right here and i i'm feeling something really wonderful and beautiful and sharing it wow so beautiful and I think you know I think fast forward to 2020 a lot of artists are waking up to these lessons now that we're not able to perform in in the live setting as much so I think that's had a profound impact on the on the artist community and just and just we don't take this stuff for granted anymore you know no not at all we'll blow their doors off when we get to perform again right because we've got all of this bottled up inside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was, was teaching music or voice something that you thought you might end up doing while you were still in school or did that come after I I actually started teaching part-time while I was finishing my master's so I was I got a part-time teaching gig at Long and McQuaid in London and yeah it was my that was my first experience teaching so I was probably I think I was 21 when I started that 
and that I think just again it fell into place for me where I I thought it was a I, I figured out it was a really great way to supplement my income when I wasn't performing because obviously when you're starting out right after university you're not just going to get full-time gigs right away it takes time to build to that and 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 teaching was just like a really nice stable way of creating income and also a nice way to to break down what I had learned in a really clear way like when I'm teaching you have to really break things down note by like I'm teaching piano for instance break it down note by note if you're doing uh, things with small children, young children. It's a w- it's a wonderful way to kind of relearn and reestablish those connections to the basics. Again, I didn't think that I would be teaching full time after university, which I ended up doing for several years. I was teaching almost five days a week. Yeah, I had like twenty five yes. students one at one point. It was busy, but it was yeah, it was just another thing that kind of like just made sense once I finished school. It just it just was the next step to kind of keep that momentum going and keep myself working at least within the field. Yeah. Yeah. And I really do love teaching. Did you have any classes on pedagogy or, or did you just get out there and start doing it based on (laughs) what you knew? A little bit of both. I did take vocal pedagogy with uh, Torin Childs and he's a really wonderful teacher, very knowledgeable, learned a lot in that class about vocal anatomy and just like the basic how our instrument functions. And I think those, those are the tools that I still draw from today, even in the work that I do now, which is, I know we'll get into later, but it's very different um, from what I even did last year. I think a lot of things have shifted for everyone in 2020. So, but I still draw from those, from those tools I I gathered in that class. And it was actually fun fact, that class that I discovered, I had a very strong epiphany taking that class, we had to write a research paper at the very end of the, of the year. And I wrote my paper on yoga for singers. And that's kind of what started my whole journey. And I had like a really intense, it was a very, I remember the moment I had a very intense epiphany when I wrote this paper, because it was the easiest paper I've ever written, just because it made so much sense. You know, the thesis was just like, oh, it's proven already. Like it, it's X, Y, Z. And <laughs> So I think that was w- what really drew me to that whole field. And then I started my business and yoga for singers after oh, that. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So yes, that was my next set of questions right there. A good segue. You decided to pursue yoga more deeply though, at some point after mm-hmm. you graduated and you were working for a little while. So even though you had done that, that essay, you probably carried it with you and then something gelled and you decided this is for me. And mm-hmm. so how did, how did that happen? Did you have a, a person who influenced you again there? Well, my journey with yoga, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to go into a little bit of a vulnerable place because that's really where it was born from. I was suffering from pretty severe anxiety all throughout university and uh, performance anxiety as well, okay. right? Like all of us yeah. have that as performers. But I had, yeah, pretty severe like general anxiety as well in my life. And it was affecting my singing and it was affecting most areas of my life. And I was just kind of grasping for different tools to work on this and to heal uh, my body <laughs> and heal my mind. And my therapist at the time suggested trying yoga. And I think I was 18, I was very young oh. and I thought, Oh, I, yoga at that time, I think this was what? Oh, this is probably like early to like mid 2000s. So it was just up and coming, you know, it was yeah. just becoming 
a more uh, popular thing, but it still wasn't like now it's yoga's blown up and it's everywhere. But at, yes. the, at that time, it was still kind of this like new agey thing that no one knew a lot about. But I found a yoga studio in London. It happened to be a hot yoga studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I fell in love with the practice. I it, it changed my life forever. And I think I, I think I realized hey, yoga not only can help my anxiety, but it actually helps my singing. It actually helps my breath management. It helps with my performance anxiety as well. There are so many benefits to the practice that I, re I realized, hey, there's something, there's something here. I can bring the tools of yoga into the singing community because I think every singer, every human needs yoga, I think. But especially singers, and we've talked a lot about this in the past as well, but uh, just how how much of a connection there is to connecting with, I, I might be going ahead of myself here because I know you have a question related to <laughs> <laughs> the yoga for singers, but it just made sense for me. And once I started practicing when I was quite young, I just, I kept that as kind of like in my, it was kind of like one of my tools that I would turn to when I was, I was yeah. feeling performance anxiety. And I would be doing yoga backstage before shows you know, yeah. doing, doing breath work or, or just a few stretches here and there. Even if I was in my costume, I'd be stretching before I get on stage. <laughs> it was really important to me yeah. to find my center and to connect with my body. I love that. And I've mm -hmm. only just discovered it myself, that it, it is huge in terms of reducing anxiety and preparing for performance. So those two things I now know, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so sad that I didn't know it a long time ago. So on the flip side of that, I'm really happy for you that you figured it out when you did, and then you decided to pursue it seriously and become certified yeah. as a yoga instructor. So what, what was that like? I know there are many, many hours involved, depending on what level you want to achieve. So where are you at? And yeah. how, did you, how did you get there? To me, it felt like the next step to deepen my practice because I recognized that there was, I, ha I had limitations on what I could do because of my understanding of the postures and the alignment principles. And I also, from the paper that I wrote in university, when I, when I discovered the benefits of yoga for singers, I realized that, hey, this could be a really good thing for me to, to have that certification so I can at least have credibility when I'm offering this to my clients. It made, yeah. it made sense. And, um, and I think it was uh, in 2016 when I did my first training. So I was just kind of fresh out of school, figuring out my next steps. I was still living at home, commuting to Toronto for work. And then I decided to do this training because, you know, I, I wasn't paying rent at the time. So it made sense to, to fork out that money because it's quite expensive to do oh, it, to yeah, do a yeah. 200 hour. It was a 200 hour training that took place over eight months. And we did one weekend every month uh, of about 25 hours per weekend. So it was like an intensive weekend training over the course of eight months. So it was quite long, but it was great because you had that time in between each, uh, each weekend to integrate what you'd learned and, and do the practices and study up and then refresh for the next month. And then there was yeah. always integration time. Um, so I really appreciated that in terms of the, the structure of the training. And then when I finished that, that training, I, I, that's when I started my, my business in what, well, that's when I started Yoga Pella and I yeah. was doing, I was focusing more on like yoga for singers workshops around, and I was doing those kinds of things around the city, but I was also yeah. gigging part-time and I was also teaching part-time. I was doing all these little things 
you know how artists are like we're always doing a million things (laughs) so it took eight months Mm -hmm. right to do the 200 hours Mm -hmm. and I know that that's not all just practical you're not doing 200 hours of yoga there there's an immense amount of reading and studying as you mentioned and you're digging really deeply into philosophy and all sorts of different styles of yoga and learning about the chakras and and those kinds of things that feels overwhelming when you think about what's involved what was your favorite part of going through that process the learning yoga and becoming certified Mm. there's so many beautiful parts of it I really loved the philosophy I really loved studying the Bhagavad Gita and just the kind of the cultural history surrounding yoga and learning its origins in in Hindu culture and and learning just going deeper than the physical practice and learn for me my my training opened up my mind to so many like that's kind of when I had my spiritual awakening because I was just like blown away with the depths of this stuff and how the posture is literally one of the eight limbs like the hatha the the physical asana is such a small fraction of what the yoga practice can be for some for for people so it's it's it just opened up my world to the possibilities of 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 this practice and how there's so there's so many work moving parts um and then i i loved also learning about the anatomy because i had a little bit of anatomy knowledge from my time at western and learning about vocal anatomy and so i i knew a little bit but it was really it was really empowering to learn just all of the moving parts of the body and how I can, how I can, again, pull from those when I teach voice now, because I have that deeper understanding of the body. So all of these skills are transferable into all the different things that I do. So it just like yoga and singing just marry well together so well. There's so many parts about it that I loved. (laughs) It's hard to pick a favorite. What are these eight limbs? Yes. So in Ashtanga yoga, there it's, it's it's the eight limb system so that that's basically referring to the it's kind of like the eight steps to the yogic practice or the eight steps to enlightenment or samadhi uh-huh. so there's there's two steps that happen before you even get to asana and those are just like your ethical codes of conduct they're called the yamas and the niyamas and within those the yamas and the niyamas there's there's five of each and it's essentially just like 10 principles in which to live your life which you're as a yogi you live in this way first before you even move on to asana you have to live with you know ahimsa non-harming satya truthfulness you have to live with non-stealing dedication and discipline and so there's basically these 10 principles to live by then you move on to the asana and then after the asana you can move on to the pranayama which is the breath work and then comes meditation, and then comes concentration, oh. and then comes withdrawal of the senses, so where you're where you're actually just like focused on the internal landscape. You're not focused on the. You're not distracted by the physical matrix, yeah. like the physical world. And then comes samadhi. So it's kind of like the eight steps to enlightenment, and this is the Ashtanga Yoga principle. That's incredible to hear about yeah it's very interesting especially that those first two steps where those things sound easy it sounds mm-hmm. easy to be able to uh, stop or to well to stop to not harm a lot of those habits to not yeah, harm or yeah. to have self-discipline on abc issue you know eating for instance i have 
really, I'm really trying with the self-discipline on eating. But when you spoke those words to me, that was where my mind went. And I thought I can do better there. Why is it such a struggle? But it really is. It's very, very hard to overcome and just be pure yeah. on all of those things. So I love yeah. that journey. I'm sitting here with the biggest smile on my face and, and just almost like almost a tear because I feel mm -hmm. so proud of you and and so happy that you're doing this but I'm very inspired by you as well I have been for a long time so oh, oh. likewise Kira. <laughs> thank you for saying that oh <laughs> yes yes you're lovely and I'm just I follow what you're doing with much admiration you went um, to India and yeah I've been there too, but I, oh, really? I didn't yes. think I knew that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I went for business, but you went okay. for a very different reason. And I want to know about what it was like for you when when you went to India. How long did you stay? And tell us about your experience hmm. there. Yeah, that was a big one for me. I so this was last year. Thankfully, I got in there right before the pandemic. I actually booked a one way ticket to India, so I was I was going, and I had no kind of concept of when I was coming back, which I've never, if, if, if you know me well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a classic Virgo. I really <laughs> like structure. I really like knowing where my next uh, month is going to be. And uh -huh. I, I really, ha I like planning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for me to, to just let all of that go out the window and to kind of put my life on hold and tell my students, Hey, I'm, I, I had to give my students to other, to another teacher and move on from these yeah. things and, and kind of put my, yeah, I really put, hit the pause button on my life to really immerse myself in this. I knew I was going to go to this training for, for, it was a one month intensive training where you live on the, live at the ashram, you study. And that was like, we were doing yoga four hours a day. We were, we were, the days were 12 hours long. Like you were up at uh, what time? I guess 5.30, we started our Kriyas and we would have to do these really interesting like cleansing processes where <laughs> where I could explain them. They're pretty, pretty interesting. Singers are familiar with one of them. It's that we had to do the neti pot, which is very common oh, okay. in the singing community, but it's, in, it's very common in the yoga practice as well because it's considered a cleansing process and which is called the Kriya in Sanskrit and we we would do this every morning and then we would also do this other Kriya where we had to <laughs> so graphic we had to stick this like rubber hose up our nose and then feed it all the way through to come out of our mouth and then essentially floss our respiratory system between the <sighs> nose and the mouth so it's so intense I actually never was successful getting it all the way out because it was just like it was so intense just you're, oh. you're trying to stick this thing and you're gagging on it and trying to get Jeez. it out and you're like I don't really know the benefits like I, they explain the benefits but you're thinking like is this actually doing anything for me like what is the point of this but it was such a it was a, such an act of will to get to even get to that yes. point for me to do that I think I was proud of myself to even try even though I wasn't ever successful at getting it all the way through I was proud that I could even try something like that because it was really intense and they say the benefits is that it actually clears out your whole like respiratory system. So afterwards your breathing is on, you know, like your breathing feels so clear. There's no gunk in the way. Wow. For me, I really liked the neti pot. Like that one <laughs> goes far enough for me. I don't need to go in the whole way. Um, but we did those every morning and then we would do 
you know, an hour of meditation and breath work. And then we would do an hour of Ashtanga yoga first thing in the morning before we eat. First thing in the morning, 7 a.m. And then we have breakfast. And we were eating this, like, they fed us the whole time. They gave us this incredible, um, they call it sattvic food. So it's like energetically balanced food. Indian food has always been my favorite food also. So <laughs> best food. Yeah. And then we would go right into our philosophy class and study the yoga sutras. And we would study the Bhagavad Gita, and then we would go on to anatomy, and then we would go to practice our Hatha yoga, because this training was both Ashtanga and Hatha. So we practiced another hour and a half in the afternoon, and then we did a meditation again after yoga, and then we had dinner. Like it was, it was full days from five in the morning till seven at night. Very, very intensive training. It was very, it was really great to have that sense of discipline in the practice though, because yeah. we were committed. All of us were very dedicated in that one month time frame, And I feel like it was nice to get both of those experiences. Cause I, I tried the training in the West and then I did the training in the East, you know, and they were yeah. both, they're both 200 hour trainings. So now I've had 400 hour, but I think the full, normally people do a 200 hour and then a 300 hour. So they have mm-hmm. like the full 500 hour yeah. training. But for me, I wanted to do another 200 hour in India because I wanted to just compare the programs and see, you know, how different it would be in where yoga came from, which was in Rishikesh in India. And so I was there for a month doing really intensive training. And then after that, I was with a friend also, I should mention, I did, I didn't go alone. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, it would have been, I think I, I made the right choice because going alone to India the first time. I know people have done it and I think I probably could have done it now that I've been, I'm, I would happily go back alone. I feel safe to go back alone, but just because it was my first time, I didn't know what to expect. And a friend of mine wanted to do a yoga training as well. So we decided to do it together. And so the second month we just traveled around and we just kind of flowed. We didn't plan anything. We just let it flow and, and just, you know, decided, Hey, where do you feel like going next? Like, Oh, we met this person that said that we could stay with them in this place. Let's go there. And, it was so nice to have that freedom and just really integrate again, integrate what we had learned in the previous month, but with this, with this sense of freedom, because we weren't focused on anything else. Like we were just focused on being present with each day Mm -hmm. and we could really allow the days to unfold naturally and then add in the practices when they felt right. And just really soak it all in, you know, because there's so much to see in India. As you know, you've been right. There's yeah. so much rich culture there. It's just, oh, it's the most incredible place I've ever visited. <laughs> and I, I need to go back. Like I was only ever in the north. I never went south of Delhi. Um, so I don't know where, where did where did you go while you were there? I was in Hyderabad, oh, which okay. is south central. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I went twice, 2005. That's wow, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wrong year. One digit off. Yeah, and it was all business related, as I mentioned. Right. And there was still a little bit of time to explore. And so, yes, the sights and sounds for me were incredible and something I'll never forget. And they had a huge impact on my life as well. Wow, that's beautiful. Even though you were there for business, you still experienced this, like, this just dramatic culture that has everything india is the country of extremes it has everything you know the richest of the rich the poorest of the poor the most beautiful the most derelict like it's just it's it's the country of contrast is what i like to say (laughs) i i have to say i truly wasn't prepared for what i was going to see and feel 
mm-hmm. on the first trip. The second trip, Sometimes. I was ready, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel that way now. When I go back, I'll be ready. And then, yeah, so just to kind of give you that timeline. So we, we traveled around for another month and went up and it, we just went deeper into the Himalayas because that was where we were really feeling the call to just be in the mountains. So we, we went to, we stayed at the uh, Osho Ashram, not the one in Pune, but we went to the one in Rishikesh uh-huh. for, we just went there for four days. And that was a really interesting experience doing those cathartic meditations. I don't know if, I, if you're familiar with Osho um, and the, his, his, his practices, uh, but it's basically like they give you full reign to just release any sound that you need to release. Like they call it cathartic meditation or cathartic release. Uh-huh. And you they, like, you're in this giant room with, you know, a lot of different people and we're all wearing, um, red. I think that's, there's a sim- symbolic, uh, symbolic meaning behind that color for the, the practices, mm-hmm. but they, they basically give you full reign to just let out anything you want like if you need to scream if you need to cry if you need to laugh if you need to you know just whatever Uh and I've never had permission to do that before and I have to say it was one of the most profound experiences of my life and also informed the work I do now with vocal empowerment because it was just the experience of having that release with my voice right it's yes let out the voice in any way that it needs to be unleashed and just realizing the profound effects that that you can that you can have on the body by using your voice to release trauma, it was just like a no brainer to incorporate this work into yeah. what I do now with vocal empowerment because we do a lot of that kind of cathartic sighing, and yeah. I allow my I, I really give my clients permission to let out sound in whatever way that feels good, um, not to sound good, but to feel good. I think that's yes. a huge distinction for me now. That was a really powerful experience. And then, and then we went to Nepal for a month. That was our next stop. Um, (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. We ended up going to Nepal because our visas ran out, right? We only had two month visas. So we decided, okay, we got to get out of the country by the 30th. Let's just go to Nepal and why not? And then uh, we stayed there for a month and lived on some, I lived on a permaculture farm and learned a little bit about permaculture. And then we stayed at this, uh, we volunteered at this orphanage in I think it was in Pokhara and it was just yeah we kind of again flowed we didn't have a plan and then we booked our flight once we uh once we got to Nepal and we were kind of really honestly running out of money (laughs) it might be a time to go home soon (laughs) so uh all together the trip was three months to the day three months to the day um last year and coming back from that was a trip <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I think my heart was in India for another six months after that. Oh. I wasn't physically in Toronto until <laughs> like <laughs> the winter. <laughs> I I know what it's like to go traveling and not have a real destination in mind, or and I love the no return ticket idea too. Yeah. Um, we've done a little bit of that, you know, just gone somewhere without knowing when we'd return and and uh, explore just explore but you took it many steps further than just wandering around and and seeing the sights you you explored right to your most innermost depths of your soul yeah it was definitely an inner exploration as much as it was the outer world I definitely yeah and I think India has that effect on people it's a very spiritual country they they're very connected to spirit in India it's it's just it's just woven into the fabric of their consciousness and they're very 
yeah, I think it's just, it's more common to, to, to be acquainted with that work. And I think that's what resonated with me so much, just speaking to people on the street, anyone, the most unsuspecting person you meet on the street, and they, all of them have a sense of God in their heart, whatever that means to them. It's not necessarily yes. the religious sense of the word, but just that connection to divine, connection mm -hmm. to spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that's, yeah, it's just something that we're lacking in our culture. We're very much in this concrete jungle can disconnected from the land disconnected from our soul that's and individual I think that's, yeah very individualist very separate from one another and i think that was probably one of the biggest takeaways i i i learned while i was in india is just how important it is to connect with with spirit mm -hmm. um, and how much you can learn about yourself in that process and how quick we can be to judge also because I would talk to people that I'd be like oh no there's no way that they understand this stuff but every single person that I spoke to had some form of connection to God or connection to spirit mm -hmm. and it just taught me so much that you can't you can't be so quick to judge people I learned not to project my own my own expectations of people onto people oh, if that makes sense you know yeah, and I've learned to be less judgmental I learned to be more just coming from a place of love like I think that's yes. the biggest takeaway Imagine where the world would be if we could just all stop projecting ourselves onto everybody else. <laughs> right? right? Yeah, we have like our expectation of others that just like yeah. informs that person. It's and it's not actually reality. Yeah. Um, so yeah. seeing things objectively is a really important skill, I think, mm. which you can learn through spirituality. You can learn this through meditation and through yoga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about yoga and singing and how that connects so beautifully and why it's so helpful. I mean, we could exercise, we could lift weights, we could jog, we could do all those things for ourselves to improve our health. But yoga and singing just seem to mesh perfectly and beautifully, don't they? Oh, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful union. <laughs> so... Yeah, I could talk for a long time on this. You'll have to cut me off if I'm going too long. <laughs> so yeah, yoga, the principles of yoga and the principles of singing just inform each other so beautifully because I, I look at it this way where as a performer and as a singer, it's really important to have a connection with your body, have a connection to all the intrinsic muscles that we use for singing. And a lot of us aren't really there with our bodies. A lot of us are very disconnected and living in our heads, living in that um, kind of mind chatter, the chitta, they call it in Sanskrit, chitta uh, vritti. And there's, there's a disconnection to our, our instrument. And um, yoga teaches you to connect through mindfulness, through breathing, through these postures, to connect to your instrument, to connect to your body, and so that you develop a deeper understanding of how your body works and also how your body feels. Often we don't even feel into our body. We're not even noticing these like somatic responses our body can have to the different traumas that we encounter <laughs> throughout our lives, yes. our lives, which is, you know, everyone has trauma. And so this is a way, the yoga practice is a way to connect with the body, which is obviously crucial for the singer. And it's also a way to connect to our breath, you know, because the, the, the emphasis in yoga is to just breathe as you move, breathing with movement. So mm -hmm. it's not, and they always say breath first. You can be sitting in meditation and breathing and you're doing yoga. You don't have to be doing asana to be doing yoga. And so that connection to breath 
obviously is ex extremely crucial for the singer as well, because as we know, the breath is our fuel. It's our gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. So without the breath, there is no sound. So if you connect with your breath in, in the yoga practice, you as a singer can notice that there there's potential to um, deepen your breath management to sustain longer phrases and to be more relaxed because obviously yes. breathing deep is a very relaxing process so there's a huge connection there as well right so there's a connection through connection to body connection to instrument connection to your breath and also just awareness increasing your awareness of yourself and the world around you and so that when you're on stage as you know is hugely important we need to have this like hypersensitivity to our surroundings so that we can interact with the stage and interact with the other yes. performers with a greater sense of um awareness and and yes. presence and that so we can bring the work to life um in a deeper more meaningful way mm -hmm. so that made sense as well as just like connecting all the dots of 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 yoga just like again it just marries well so beautifully with with the idea of yoga um and so yoga pella is really about creating this container of of it's an opportunity for people to come into come into my sessions connect with their body without without singing right away like i always do i always in my uh, sessions now i've been doing vocal empowerment which we'll get to but i always start with the movement i always start with breath meditation those are the three elements i want to bring into singing now because mm -hmm. i think in my experience of singing lessons it was always so focused on technique which is important of course and anatomy it's important it's important to understand these things but it's one thing to understand and cognitively you know make those connections about how you know how the voice functions but it's another thing to to actually imp implicate them to actually you know adapt Yes. and and apply these things yes. because uh, yeah like i said we don't often have that connection to these intrinsic muscles that are used for singing so i thought i like to create those connections connect the dots to your body with this mindfulness practice with these breathing techniques and with this gentle movement before we even get into singing because that is hugely important i think to to just get to that place where you're like okay now i can kind of feel into my larynx a little more i can feel into my jaw muscles when they're tensing up or clenching i can feel into the tongue like you're just yeah. you're, you're making the connections and so it's a i think it's a huge component of, of the singing lesson that i was lacking and when i was a student and and feeling like there was some like i was really fortunate my my teacher anita kraus would often do some stretches before we would sing which is hugely important and it was it it made a big difference for me when i was learning but i wanted to take it a step further you know and really dive deep into that practice so you can find that sense of relaxation that sense of freedom in the body to prepare your body for singing because i think that just hopping out of bed and being able to sing isn't a thing like it's not it's not something that we experience it's like we always have to work out or do some sort of physical practice before we're ready to sing and i think i think most of us can agree on that um, and I know that most singers do have some sort of movement practice um, that they impl implicate before they sing. But I just think that yoga is like, the, I, I'm biased, but I think it's the best physical practice you could do before you sing. Because it just, it's, it's so much more than a physical practice. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to vocalize and it's another thing to decide to find and become in tune with your body before exactly. you start singing the repertoire. <laughs> right. Right. I love the name Yoga Pella. To me, mm -hmm. it's the obviously it's the combination of yoga and a cappella. And mm -hmm. when we practice yoga, um, we are doing it oftentimes unaccompanied. And so it's a really nice exploration of of ourselves and our physical bodies. And in particular, I wanted to ask you about poses, specific poses that are really beneficial for a singer in terms of opening the throat. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot you can do with that. I mean, I always like to work with um, forward bends and back bends because the back bend and the forward bend, just working with that kind of articulation of the spine and, 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 and opening and closing is a really great way to kind of free up the thoracic spine, which is often, that's the mid back, right? So there's three areas of the spine. We got our lumbar spine at the low back, our thoracic in the mid back, and then the cervical spine is your neck. Yes. And often in, in many, many people, it's very common that the cervical spine is very mobile. The lumbar spine is very mobile, but the thoracic spine frozen. <laughs> so so doing these, yeah, yeah, we're all there. I'm there too. <laughs> Um, it's a constant journey, right? So I like to really focus on doing some back bends and some forward bends and a lot of twisting action and then a lot of side bends. So really taking the spine through all the movements, the twisting, the back bending, the forward bending, the side bending, so that you're really working through all those different articulations of the spine. Yeah. And that also frees up all the muscles in the, in the, in the side body. So your intercostals and your obliques. All, all these little muscles that are used for breathing. Yeah. Great way to open those up. Um, and also working specifically with the neck. I mean, definitely doing, like I like to just do really gentle neck rolls, simple stuff like that. A great way to open up through the shoulders is to interlace your fingers behind your back. And then you can look up, find a little stretch through the front of your neck and then fold forward, but keep your fingers interlaced. That's a really common one. I think a lot of yeah. people have done that. Um, Specific asanas to open up the neck. I would say um, rabbit pose is a really good one if, if you're familiar. Oh, I have not it's, tried rabbit, no. So it's basically like, um, it's a good way to open up through the back of the neck because you, you are on all fours and then you come forward, you bring your hands to, onto your heels. For those of you that you know, need it, a visual, you can always Google this. Yes. <laughs> it's a really easy please Google rabbit pose. And you'll see that the top of the head is on the ground. And you, so there's a little bit of pressure on the head, but then you get some um, leverage from holding onto your heels. So you get this really juicy stretch through your trapezius, through the neck. And you also get a little bit of relief through the back of the neck because often a lot of us are jutting our heads forward, which I say, you know, you're thinking too far into the future. Mm -hmm. That's often most of us are in the future, heads jutting forward. The yeah. spine is, is not in alignment. And then all the muscles through the front of the neck, like your scalenes and your, you know, all these jaw muscles are overworked because they're holding up your head and they're not meant to do that. Yeah. So that you actually have to really consciously like standing against a wall is a great tool to just remind yourself of what it feels like to be in alignment which yeah. often feels quite strange because many of us are hunched forward yeah. texting you know leaning oh. down into our phones yeah. and yeah. then we're working overworking these muscles in the front of the neck and then the muscles in the back of the neck are underdeveloped because they're not holding up the head 
And then also another fun thing to, to realize, the further forward your head goes or the further down your head goes, it multiplies the weight of your head. So when it's eight pounds sitting in alignment up here, it actually is putting about 60 pounds of weight on your spine when you lean yeah. it forward. So it's, it's, really, it's really important to realize that, that it actually puts so much pressure on your spine and, and, and pulls on these muscles in the back, which is often why we get a lot of tension through, yes. through our necks. Yes. I'm also a really big fan of self-massage. Yeah. Um, and there's this really great tool I think every singer, every human should have these yoga tune-up balls, if you're familiar with these. No. They're basically like tennis balls. You can use tennis balls if you don't have them and just put them in a sock. <laughs> so you get two of them next to one another. And they're the best tools for self-massage. You can, you can use one of them and lean up against the wall and massage the front of your chest or in your neck. Or you can put two of them together and um, place them at the bottom of your shoulder blades and then just lie on them, which is super mm -hmm. intense. And then just roll them up your spine, and it's a great way to just massage through all the all the the the, the yucky stuff that's back there yeah. in our shoulder blades. I did I didn't know what that is called, but I actually do have two balls and great use them. On, <laughs> that sounds so you, very you're funny. Fam <laughs> you're familiar with the with yeah, the. I put them on the ground and I position them under my spine, and then I roll up and down, and I can actually feel my spine and my ribs popping back into the proper place and it's a great oh, feeling so i can good. get up yeah. and go wow yeah another great one for the neck it's a simple one um but just interlacing your hands behind your head and then just kind of widening through the elbows and then just pressing your head into your hands so you're strengthening your muscles as as you press oh. your head into your hands and keep widening through the elbows but as you do that if, if you notice the tendency is to bring the ribs forward. See if you can hug in through the ribs and engage your core and just keep pressing the head into the hands and the hands into the head. So you're finding a little bit of strength and relief. Wow. And then you can add some twists into that or some side bends. And that's a great way to relieve tension through the neck because you're also working the muscles. Often we, we do a lot of passive stretching in yoga and I'm really a, a big um, proponent of strengthening and stretching because I think strengthening is more important for those of us that are hypermobile which is myself uh -huh. uh, when you're more flexible than you are strong it's really important to do that strengthening work yes. as well as the stretching because passive stretching feels really good but it's actually not doing a ton for your body uh, you need to have that that isometric contraction in the muscles yep. to, to find that release and that and that um you know the the tension release comes yeah. from the, the contraction contraction and release you know duality yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've talked about the voice and what it feels like to be able to simply release it. And we go through so much, as you said, everyone has trauma. And I feel like a lot of singers focus their trauma into this place on their body, in the throat. And I, I just wanted to share with you that it took me quite a while to feel comfortable in a couple of asanas that involve throat opening but now that I'm there so I'm thinking of fish pose and I was just camel, about to suggest fish pose right camel pose yeah. if you're not relaxed and you're not able to open or or get the sensation of feeling open as you're doing those poses they can be really difficult but once you are 
down into it and and decide that okay i can overcome this it's almost like sticking that straw in through your nose <laughs> getting yeah exactly your mind then those poses are just so liberating and for yeah. a singer in particular so i i've been really loving those two poses but it's great to learn about those are great ones things. yeah yeah th thank you for suggesting those ones i was i i'm now i'm thinking of a really nice throat opener um it's fish pose, but it's a supported version. So if you have like a pillow or, I mean, ideally a bolster, but you can do the same thing with like a nice big, like a really big pillow. And if you place it lengthwise, just across your um, back, across your shoulder blades, mm -hmm. and then lay back on that, you get this beautiful back bend effect, opening through the, the throat, opening through the chest, but it's a passive thing. So you can mm -hmm. really relax because I find with fish pose or with camel pose, especially, where you're, you're leaning back, but there's no support there, right? You have to really engage through the core. It's so important to engage through the core. And the whole front line of the body is turned on when you're doing back bends. Um, yeah. Because without that, you would literally break your back. Like you really yeah. need to have that support. But doing that supported version of fish pose or matsyasana is a really nice way to kind of relax into the throat opening. And I find for myself, because I'm very... Like, I think I do hold most of my trauma in my throat and in my heart, which is why I chose singing, because it's a way to heal, right? Right. But I find that for those of us that have a lot of that trauma through the throat, it can be a lot when you're doing it without the support, yeah. you're trying to backbend. So it's a really nice option for people that are super tight through the shoulders and the mm -hmm. chest to just kind of ah, relax into that <laughs> posture a little bit more and have yeah. that support of the, yeah. of the bolster. Yeah. Great. And it can, you can go deep. It can be a very vulnerable spot for most people mm -hmm. where I if I lay there for even 10 breaths which isn't that long will start to emotionally release I'll start to cry and have uh -huh. stuff come out yeah. because it's a spot of it's a spot that we protect right that's mm -hmm. why a lot of us hunch forward we're always it's protecting fine. our heart protecting our throat our place of 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 love our place of creative expression we, mm. we hold our we hold in these places because we want to you know protect ourselves so opening it can be a very vulnerable experience and and it's a very healing experience i think it's very important for yeah. us to explore that as Definitely. humans yes mm -hmm. yes let it go <laughs> mm -hmm. and exploring it with singing is a hugely beneficial thing as well or chanting even i've been doing a lot now in my in my work lately neat mm -hmm. in your work what kinds of things have you done in connection with the opera and singing community? And, and uh, I think that I've seen you do lead a session or two at the uh, Four Seasons Center, right? Yeah, I was so fortunate to, to be asked to go there uh, for a couple workshops right, right before COVID hit. So I, was, I <sighs> snuck right in there. The last one was in January. And then, um, yeah, they, they, they were actually for the public. So they weren't for specifically singers, mm -hmm. but because it was in that space, we got to do the workshop in the Richard Bradshaw Amphitheater on the third floor there. And it's such a beautiful space. Mm -hmm. I know you've been there many times and um, it's just, it was just such a surreal experience to get to, to teach for so many people. There was like over 50 people there right. and it was, yeah, it's a huge, beautiful space. And to just have that energy of, of this, of being at the opera house where all these amazing singers frequent so often. And a lot of the ensemble members were there, like the young, the young artist yeah. ensemble members were there. And I was fortunate enough to collaborate with Lauren, uh, 
Aberwine, I think that's how you say her last name. And she's, uh, she's a really wonderful mezzo-soprano. We actually really bonded and have become friends since because of that collaboration. Um, but she was singing for the entire workshop. So I would lead the, the class and then she would do this like beautiful free improv with, um, with um, Rachel Weiss. No, what was her name? The pianist. Oh, I should know this. Her name was Kerr. Rachel. Rachel Kerr. Rachel Kerr. Thank you. Yeah. Was the pianist. And um, they just improved for the end of the class during the Shavasana. Gorgeous. And it was such a, such a fortunate, um, such an such an honor to, mm -hmm. to work with them and to have them to be present and to meet a lot of the ensemble members. And yeah, I want to do more of that. That was really fun. <laughs> and, uh, but that was just kind of a yoga class for the public in this space where there's a lot of singers. So it wasn't necessarily a yoga for singers workshop. I've had to kind of plan those on my own and do and use various different spaces. Mm -hmm. um, I use this one space called the Artist Health Clinic, which is at Toronto Western Hospital. And they have this really nice yoga studio in there that you can rent out. Um, and it's specifically for artists. So, so it appeals to that crowd a little bit more. Um, Great. And, and it was kind of, that was my trajectory for all of, like for many years after you know, I, I guess it was 2016 to 2019. That was kind of my trajectory is doing yoga Pella, specifically yoga for singers. And I was also teaching on the side and performing on the side. But a lot of that changed. Um, am I getting ahead of myself or can oh, I go on? Oh, go okay, on, go ahead. A lot of that changed uh, when COVID hit. And yoga teaching obviously is no longer, gigging is no longer. And so right. now I was just teaching music pretty much when COVID hit and that was all, that was my only source of income, but it wasn't enough and it wasn't fulfilling me anymore. You know, I didn't want to teach piano for the rest of my life. Uh, I was trying to figure out another way to incorporate this, this, this concept of mindfulness and yoga for singers, but, but bring it online mm -hmm. um, and do it in a, so I decided to switch it into a more, more of an intimate, um, an intimate uh, arrangement where I'm now doing one-on-one -on -one coachings through zoom so how we're meeting today and wonderful it's so yeah it's been really wonderful it was again I had this other kind of epiphany in March and I was working with this really wonderful uh, business coach and she and I kind of came to this realization that hey I could do this work online and I can make it I can I can kind of market it more like holistic voice lessons like I'm still going to do it there's still going to be voice lessons however it's from this more holistic perspective and what I decided to call it was vocal empowerment uh, because to me my clients aren't just singers my clients are anyone that are looking anyone that's looking to empower themselves with the use of their own voice mm -hmm. or anyone that's looking to unleash their true sound their true voice and or anyone that's looking to heal themselves with their voice you know there's so many reasons one could seek vocal empowerment it's also great for singers i think i've worked with a few singers as well yeah. but it's really like it's opened up my my clientele to really anyone that's looking to to just connect with their voice in a deeper way and connect with their body and connect with their soul in a deeper way and so I've been doing a lot of the same things that I was doing with Yoga Pella, but on this more intimate platform with it's, nice. it's like a one-on-one -on -one coaching and it's been, you know, all over Zoom. So it's really allowed me huh. to be more free. And now I'm like, now I'm thinking of where I can go in the world and take this work because yes. it, I think it needs to go 
to other places as well. I, I definitely feel like maybe creating an online course is my next step. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, all these different ways I can take, take this work, but yeah. Yeah. Vocal empowerment. It's been a, it's been a journey this year <laughs> to, to <laughs> adapt it online and, and uh, share it with you. I'd love to share it with you, Kira. I think oh, that'd be really fun. Let's do it. We'll do yeah. it. I will book a session. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'd, 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 I'd be happy to show it to you like a complimentary session as well because oh. I friends and I want to, I want to, I want to get this work out there. That's really my main goal right now at this point because yeah. it's so new. Yeah. I just want to show it to people and, 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 and get some feedback and I really respect your opinion. So I think it would be really fun to, to do that together. I'd love it. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I am loving my yoga practice so much that I have actually decided I'm going to pursue those 200 hours of training myself. No way. But I will wait until I graduate, of course, because I don't think that's possible to do on top of uh, the classes that I'm in and, and everything. But I think that very busy. Yeah. I think that it's, it's a good time of my life to focus on something like that. And for me, it won't even be about helping my singing which it will do but it'll be more about just that journey and the experience and the feeling and also getting in shape Mm -hmm. and feeling healthy and knowing that I will hopefully enter the twilight of my life in good condition yeah really important to me hugely important so I have a few more questions for you one of which I'm going to circle back to your visit to India because I really want to know whether you sang for anybody while you were there oh yeah I didn't sing opera um at all really uh but I definitely had some uh we did some kirtan quite a bit of kirtan which is um kind of like traditional uh, I guess what would you call it it's it's like a meditative singing and it's usually done in groups um, and it's usually like freestyle, but work also working with different mantras. And so we did do a lot of kirtan singing in my yoga training uh-huh. um, and chanting and a lot of chanting. We chanted before <laughs> each class, we would chant ohms yes. together. Like, ev- like we chanted every day constantly. So that was a lot, that was a big part of the practice. Um, and then of course, I made some friends that were musical and we had some jams together. There was one, there was one night that comes to mind in particular where everyone was really cozy. We were all in a little cuddle puddle at my friend's hostel and one of my friends had a ukulele and I love playing ukulele (laughs) and I, and I loved, uh, I used, I used, used to use the ukulele in my yoga classes. I would teach uh, mom and baby yoga classes and work with kids a lot. And it's the best instrument to play for that age group. Yeah. Um, and there's so many little songs you can play on it. It's, it's really fun. <laughs> so I, I busted out this, my friend's ukulele one night and just gave my friends this, like I sang to them for probably an hour while they were just all snuggling and kind of dozing off. It was really late at night and everyone was really relaxed. And I think I sang for them for almost an hour. It's just me just playing every song that I knew on the ukulele, you know, <laughs> and everyone was, everyone gave me really nice words afterwards and were really appreciative of that. And uh, it was really nice to have that outlet um and it reminded me how much I love to sing because I think at that point I hadn't sang in quite a while and it was like oh yeah I really like singing for people like specifically singing for people it feels really good to do that it feels like a gift you know 
and, and we have this gift. Why wouldn't we share it with others? Absolutely. You no. Know? And I think it take me, it took me a long time to feel that way. Mm-hmm. I would, I had stage fright for many years and had performance anxiety, like I said, for many years and was never really a fan of my own voice, to be honest. Um, so it took me a while to get to a place where I'm like, oh, I actually really enjoy singing and like feel good about what I'm creating. Um, so it was nice to have that, that one, that one night comes to mind in India. Huh. Um, but yeah, not, not a lot of opera. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I've, I've seen a few of your recent posts on Facebook where you are, are you performing songs that you've written yourself? Yeah, I've been starting in, starting into songwriting in the last year, I'd say. It's been they're, pretty new. They're stunning. They're oh, just, thank you so much. Yeah, really beautiful. Wow, that's really, really <laughs> lovely to hear because I'm super insecure about my songwriting <laughs> so far. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what, where are you going with that? Because yeah. that's a whole other path. Have you published anything? Well, that's a whole other journey. So yeah. last year, when I got back from India, I... I got together with two of my really good friends who are also really incredible musicians and we started a band oh. and um, yeah. And we're called sleeping bees. You can check us out on Instagram or on Spotify. We actually just released our EP on Spotify. So you can check it out okay. there. Yeah. And um, we started recording last November for that EP and we released it just in August because COVID hit, we were going to release it and have yeah. a whole release party, but then, you know, obviously everything changed. But last summer was amazing. We played so many different like festivals and little, you know, porch fests all over the place. And they were always really small, but I love playing small shows. I think it's the most fun. And we did lots of stuff around Toronto as well, but we traveled also to like Kingston and a place up in, um, what was it, up in near near Aurora, Newmarket. So we've, we, a lot of local stuff, you know, Um, and we're yeah we just do three-part harmony that was our that's our main focus is doing harmonies and we sing folk music but all the songs we've sung so far have been written by my friend reed so there's two women in this band reed and Catherine, and and reed is this like incredible songwriter and she has no musical training she's just like a natural which is so yeah i'm just like how (laughs) she's so good and then Catherine has a more similar background to me where she was she went to berkeley um for like jazz piano and was very like classical studied classical piano her whole life and um very very well trained um and also plays the harp which is really interesting so we have a harp and a guitar and a ukulele in this band it's like a pretty in a very string focused yes. band <laughs> and so we just got into recording last year and that's kind of when I started writing songs but none of which I've recorded like I haven't recorded any, any of my own songs yet that's my project for this you winter will. so it's funny yeah. you ask that I'm just in the process now of buying logic and some microphones and like an interface and getting all the gear yeah so I'd love to have a setup for the winter and just get really into recording and uh it's I, I just recorded a new song with my band last weekend and we're going to release it in a couple weeks. So stay tuned. Yay. And uh, we've made it a goal for the winter to yeah. record and release a song every month. So you can hold me to it now that this is recorded okay. and in the, in the world, <laughs> I need Very to record good. and release a song every month. Very yeah. Nice. Well, we would love to hear you sing right now. So please tell us about the piece that you'd like to share today what what does it mean to you and i know that you created it yourself so that's incredible what does this piece of music mean to you so i'm sharing this one specifically it's actually on the ukulele so i know you mentioned the piano one but this one that i'd like to share is i play it on the ukulele just 
And I'm sharing it specifically because I wrote this during quarantine. So I wrote this uh, in March, uh, one of those days where I was just feeling really lost. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And I think a lot of us were feeling that way in March, just feeling like, who knows, who knows what the world has, who knows where the world is going. So I found, I found myself at the lake near my house. So I was near uh, Trillium Park, if you know Toronto, that's a, a park near Ontario place. And I was sitting by the water and I was just watching the water as it kind of lapped up onto the, onto the rocks and just kind of meditating there. And as I was meditating, this melody came to my head and I started singing this melody. And then I started hearing words in my head. It just kind of like came, you know, it, it was one of those songs that like, I didn't really try hard to write it. It just kind of came to me because normally when I've written it in the past, it's like a very systematic thing where I'm like, okay, these are the, this is the progression I'm going to use. This is the melody I'm going to use. And this is the concept I'm, I'm working with so I can write the words surrounding whatever concept. But this was very different. It was kind of just like, here's the song, like in my head, it was just there, which was pretty cool. So because of that, I figured it would be appropriate to share with all of you. And it's also it's a song about healing. It's a song about finding, finding healing in your life through movement, through song, through breath. And I find it's very empowering to, to hear those words. And I wrote it for myself to, as a reminder that yeah. I can do these things to heal. And um, yeah, I also just think it's a, yeah, it's just appropriate. So it's called water song and yeah, I'm going to send it to you right now. Okay, great. Yeah, so much. I can't wait to share it with everybody. And I think that's really neat that you just were sitting there and you decided to sing and play and you recorded it right then and there. Yeah, I actually recorded it later that day. Like I I came home and did it. Yeah, I I, um, yeah, that would be brain child was within that area by the water. For sure. For sure. Yeah, the water is an inspiring, inspiring thing. Like I think I'm I'm always very much connected to water. Mm. um yeah so I hope you enjoy it's a very uh vulnerable thing to share I'm still I still feel very vulnerable sharing my own music um because it's so new I yeah I I wrote songs quite a bit as a as a young child but I stopped once I got into studying music it's kind of stinted my creativity in terms of songwriting (laughs) so I I had a really long drought of like like I want to say like 15 years for a long time and then eventually yeah just last summer I started writing again so it's yeah it's been a it's been a journey very very nice congratulations to you (laughs) on on all of your journeys and all of your growth and to your your contribution to everybody else out there at Madison it's it's a really beautiful contribution it's really important and you're gonna go far Oh, I I thank you so much, Kira. You too. You know, I've I've been watching your journey too. And I feel, I I think it's important to have inspiring women, inspiring each other. Yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. It is. Wow. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. It's been an honor. (laughs) Well, let's, let's be in touch and I will definitely book a session with you. I love that. That will be an experience for me. And I wish you all the best in the, in the near future and in the long run as well. 
Oh, you too, Kira. Much love to you. And I can't wait for our session. <laughs> Great. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Kira. Okay. Madison Riley Arsenault singing her own composition, Water, accompanying herself on the ukulele. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Classical Voice Canada. We're very thankful for our listenership, and we hope that you'll come back again soon. <laughs>